You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. This week, we're continuing the Relationship Status Series with a message from Pastor Rick about what to do when it's complicated. I promise you this morning, it's not sex part two, okay? So don't worry, those of you, and so now the, those of you who weren't here last week say, oh, I do need to go back and listen to that sermon, yeah. You do. You really need, because you, you probably also know somebody that you need to forward that to. And copy that link and send it to them, somebody that needs to hear that message. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's not just, you may think that, well, that's just for unmarried. No, no, no. That sermon was for all of us. Uh, so please, if you missed that, go back to it. Um, you know, this, this week something uh, tragic again happened. It seems like every week we could come to you with a, with, with a need or something and and uh, you know, this week more tragedy in our in our country, and and uh, you know, and Dave and I were watching a program last night also, and something happened a few years ago, and I said, you know, our country is just in trouble in a lot of places, and we need to be praying over our country, and we need to be praying over those that that uh, that lost loved ones this week in the, in, in the tragedy in Florida. We we need to be praying over them uh, because this, I don't know if you've ever been around someone that had a tragedy like this in their life. A lot of people never get over that, so we need to be lifting them up in prayer and uh, encouraging and helping them during this time. If, and so let's, let's do that right now as we also prepare our hearts for this message. Father, I love you and I thank you for the miracles, the great things that I've, ha- I've, I've seen and I've heard this week, God, of things that you're doing, God. And I just ask you, do it again today. God, just, just, uh, just kind of take us apart again and put us back together. And, and God, when you're finished, I know, I know God, we're going to be just so much, so much more complete than we, than we were when you found us. God, I just ask you for that again. And God, I pray for for uh, all the families, Lord, uh, that lost loved ones. God, just pray your peace be there with them. And, and God, you help our nation. God, we, we really need to find our way again, find our way back to you. And I ask you, God, to please lead us. God, I can't change the nation, but I can change my little part of this world. So God, give me that opportunity and give me that wisdom and give me that determination to do it. And, and I pray that over my church, God, all of us, for us to do our part, God, to help our nation find its way back to you. I pray in Jesus' name and for the rest of our time together here today and this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. So, I love preaching this sermon series because of, 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 I mean, we get more, I'd say there's more immediate impact in your lives out of this sermon series probably than most any throughout the rest of the year. So, So, I really love doing this. And today we're talking about it's complicated. You ever heard that of a relationship state status? It's complicated, right? But you know what? All relationships are complicated. Whether it's your best friend, you know, or, or, or you know, your relationships at work, right? Right? I mean, how many of you have a bad or a complicated relationship at work? Don't raise your hand in case your boss is in service with us, okay? But we do, right? Uh, or, or dating, yeah, that can be complicated. And even being married, Right, that can be comp- being divorced, and you know, and having to deal with issues still, or being divorced, and maybe if you got kids, I mean, that's all relationships can be complicated. Then why in the world do we want them, right? I mean, if we, why would we put ourselves through all that pain and, and trouble if it's all if we know? I mean, right out of the bat, the first thing we know is this going to be complicated. There are going to be issues. So why would we put ourselves through that? I mean, you know, if we would just all, you know, buy robots, you know, and just live with robots instead of people, you know, uh, there wouldn't be so many surprises, you know, until one of them broke down or something, you know, we would be, you know, everything to expect every single day, right? 
you know, machines are just that way. You just know what to expect. You take your calculator out, you know, and, and, and you put some numbers into it. You're expecting to get an answer. It may not be the answer you're expecting, but you're expecting to get an answer to the, to the equation. You're not expecting to get coffee. You, you know what I mean? You know, you know what to expect, unless you've got one of those uh, robot butler things, you know, that, kind of, you know, that uh, can bring you coffee or whatever. Yeah, otherwise, you know exactly what to expect. But with human beings... You don't, ever, you don't ever know what to expect with them, right? Right? I, I mean, as soon as you get someone figured out, what do they do? They go and do something to just blow you away. Like, I never saw that coming. Didn't know you had that in you. I said, I thought I had you figured out. You ever said that to somebody? I thought I had you figured out. And maybe you didn't say it out loud. Maybe you just thought it. And then you do something like this. And, say, and, and human beings surprise us. But can, can I tell you something? We crave that. We need that. You, you may not think it, but, but the way God created us, we need that variety. We need change. We need things to not be exactly the same every day. We need that. that that's why God created us this way. He, he knew that we wouldn't be happy with robots. We wouldn't be happy with machines. That we need this, okay? And I know some of you are saying, no, I don't like change. I know some of you are thinking that, or, or you're thinking about somebody in your family that doesn't like change, right? And I see some of you smiling, nodding your head. You know, yeah, we, some of us, we think we don't like change. But yes, you do. Come on, do you eat the same meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, every single week of your life? No. You know, I, I once knew a guy that, that we pastored, in, and uh, he, worked, he worked like that third shift, you know, all night long. And so he'd get up in time for lunch was his first meal of the day. And every day he was divorced, and so it was just him. Every day he, he ate at the exact same restaurant on Monday for lunch, and a, di and a different one on Tuesday, but it's the same one every Tuesday, and the same one every Wednesday, and the same one every Thursday, all throughout the week. Now, but even he would get something different at those restaurants. You know, I think maybe he just didn't want to go through all the trouble that we go through. Like, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? You know, so he's got that figured out. But still, still he wanted, you know, he wanted some, some, some difference. I mean, we want some difference. Like, how many of you wear the exact same color shirt every single day? Probably not. Okay, maybe. Okay, if, now, if you're in the medical field, you know, maybe you wear scrubs, but a lot of you even change up the color of your scrubs, right? You know, because you're allowed to. But even if you, even if you wear a uniform the same color every single day when you come home from work and you go to your bedroom you take off that uniform do you put the same color back on no or on your off day do you wear that same color that you wore all week long no you don't I mean you've got different color shirts or tops in, in your closet don't you because we want some variety. We crave it. We need it. It's part of us. Or, or like your TV show. If you went this week, if you sit down and watch your favorite TV show, and, and it was a brand new episode. I mean, they, they redid they reshot it and everything, but they used the exact same script from last week, and they used all the exact same actors and all of that. And, and is, what would you think about it? And if the next week it was the same thing, you know, they did it all over again, but it was the same script and the same actors, you'd probably stop watching the show, right? Or, or like movies, you know, if it was the same movie. It's like the next time you go watch Star Wars, if they use the exact same uh, script as before, if they recreated all the exact same graphics that they used, the computer-generated stuff that they used in the last one, I mean, I mean, you'd be upset, right? We want something different. I mean, only fans of Fast and Furious would go watch the same movie over and over and over and over, right? You know? All the, we, we've got to have something different, or, or, or like jokes. Okay, I, I've got, you know, I've got four grandkids, and the one boy in all the grandkids is Colin. He's seven years old. Every once in a while, you know, I can just, I can just 
tell something just a little cute or whatever and just kind of, as we sometimes say, turn his giggle box upside down, you know? And he just gets so tickled that he can't stop giggling. You know, he just giggles. And sometimes you just got to back off and let him stop, you know, so you can keep talking to him, you know, and get him just really giggling. And, and then in the same car with us or in the same room wherever we're at can be his older sister, Brooklyn, who's nine, and, and, and got Colin over here giggling, and she's rolling her eyes, you know. And, and maybe I even get a, you know, a little huff or a sigh with that. And, and so sometimes y'all say, I say, Brooklyn, didn't you think what Pop said was funny? And, and she said this to me more than once. I would have thought it was funny if I had not been hearing that same joke for the last nine years. Even my nine-year-old granddaughter wants fresh content, right? We are wired for this. We crave this. Okay, here, here's, here's what I'm, try, I'm trying to tell you is we don't want contractual agreements. We want relationships. It, it's, it's what ignites our fire. It's what excites us. And that's why we risk putting ourselves in these places that can get complicated that we call relationships. That's why. It's because we need this, okay? And, and the reason I wanted to start with this introduction this morning is because, uh, you know, you may have some really, really struggling relationships in your life, some that maybe you're thinking about giving up on. And, and you know, sometimes relationships come and go. But if you've got one that really is, is worth rescuing, don't give up. And don't give up on all relationships. But keep fighting because I guarantee you that, that the rewards well outweigh all of the complicated issues that you're going to have in that relationship. It's worth it. Because God created you that way. We, your, your, being, your, your emotional being and well-being craves that and must have it for you to be everything that you're supposed to be. So don't, don't just write it off and say, I'm not going to do that anymore, okay? Let's go for it. Okay, so today we're going to do some nuts and bolts kind of stuff. Okay, we're going to talk about some, some stuff not to do and some stuff to do. So let's, let's start looking at relationships, especially complications and those kind of things. So what, what is it that makes relationships so complicated? <laughs> and here's a, here are a few things. Misunderstandings. You know, that really complicates a relationship when people aren't understanding one another. Unmet expectations. You're expecting something and they do something else. But sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes it's because you had unrealistic expectations in the first place. Stuff they can't actually take care of, they couldn't actually do. And so you've <laughs> unrealistically expected things out of them they couldn't do. Or maybe some things that, that come from a previous relationship, like hurt from betrayal or broken promises or those kinds of things. All of us have baggage. The problem happens when we take that baggage from one relationship into another one. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about dating. Also talking about best friends. You can take baggage from a best friend relationship into another best friend relationship. And, and so, and so the, some of these kinds of hurts and all these things that come from, from other relationships, previous relationships, or even maybe outside the relationship like anger, bias, and abuse. Like, you know, somebody comes home from work angry all the time. And so they're bringing something from outside the relationship into the relationship. All of these things are, and you know, but here, here's this, this really right here. These are almost like symptoms more than really the causes. So let's dig into the causes. And here... Here, I'm, I, I, where I'm taking you with this is, is in you know, 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, these are the six things, these are the six destroyers of relationships that I have seen and I've experienced and I've watched happen the most in people's lives, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about right here. And, and when I say destroyers of relationships, I say these are the things that, that maybe a lot of us, we don't even realize we're doing, okay? But I, I guess in some ways, I could also, I, I could also call it this that this is 
a list of things to stop doing in your relationships, okay? Because these are the things that are destroying our relationships. And you know what number one is? It's a big one. Number one is unforgiveness. And uh, one, here, here's the reason I, I've listed it first. is because here's what happens with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness most of the time is not the cause of the problem. There actually was some other problem that happened, and because of that problem, you know, you know two people have gotten kind of anti or against each other and, and having a hard time working it out. And, and so now unforgiveness becomes a problem on top of the problem. And then what happens is a lot of times the original problem gets worked out. It gets solved. It gets handled. But there's still this unforgiveness. And so unforgiveness is, you, you've got to rid your life of it. Don't, you know, if it's something that you've got, in, you, you've got to quit doing it. We're going to come back to unforgiveness, forgiveness at the, at the very end of this message, okay? But, but here's an old story that, that I don't know how many times I've heard it. I don't know how long ago it was when I heard it the first time. But pastor was up and he was preaching on forgiveness one Sunday. You know, got, got his congregation really into it and everything. And he was, he was right near the closing, had this really strong point he was going to use for his closing. And first he wanted to ask him a question. How many of you want to forgive every enemy you have in this world? And hands slowly started going up all over the congregation. And he kind of waited for and more hands went up. And it's a small church who so was able to look around and see there was only one person in the room that didn't have their hand up. And so he asked the question again because he really wanted to push them. And he wanted everybody, you know, everybody needs to forgive. And so he pushed it again. And, so, and, and still, this one lady, 93 years old, longtime member of the church, been there for years and years and years, longer than anybody can remember, she still didn't raise her hand. Now, he had been there long enough that he had a relationship with her that right in the middle of service, he just went in and called her out. Called her by name, said, Sister so-and-so, are you sure there's not someone, you know, you want to forgive your enemies today? And she said, nope. And he said, are you sure? And he said, he said, why not? And she said, because I don't have any enemies. And he said, wow. And so he, you know, he had this awesome closing he was going to use, but he got thinking. He said, would you come up here? She came up, and he and an usher helped her up on the stage, got her up behind the, behind the pulpit. And, and he said, I, I have a closing in mind, something I was going to share in closing, but I think maybe we need to hear your secret to not having any enemies. We need to hear that more than we need to hear my closing. So would you tell us, how in the world could someone live 93 years in this world and not have a single enemy? So she took her breath and she said, I outlived all the winches. A basis of humor is just when you take that left turn that you weren't expecting, right? <laughs> I guarantee you, that pastor, that was not what he was going for either. I don't, I don't know how he recovered from that one. I'd have probably said, let's all stand and be dismissed. <laughs> that's, that's really not an option. You can't hope to outlive all of your bitterness. Because you know what happens? A lot of time that bitterness goes even beyond the grave. Even if the source of that bitterness dies, it'll still be there. You can't let that happen. Okay, I can't spend that much time with all of them. I've got to hurry. So what's my second one? My second one is dishonesty. Oh, we're, we're totally honest. Yeah, yeah, really, really? You, you mean you never lie just a little bit to keep the peace? You never fudge a little bit on, you never tell somebody something uh, just a little off so that you can keep the peace? Or, or uh, use half-truths to drop hints? I don't like confrontation, so I'll just say a little bit and use half-truths. That's dishonest. You know? and, and, and I'm not saying you all to speak everything that's on your mind, but when you're in relationship with somebody, there should be openness, shouldn't there? Or, or like when you manipulate the truth, 
or you abuse the truth to make someone feel guilty, or uh, use imbalanced truth. You ever had somebody tell you the truth, but just the way they said it, something wasn't quite the truth. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you need to know this. Every one of these, this dishonesty, every one of these actions will create distrust in your relationships. Because when you, even, even the one of, of, of just fudging, telling a little white lie to keep the peace, they're going to know. And when they realize that you're even fudging about that just to keep the peace, they'll know they can't trust you to be open and honest with them. You're breeding distrust by not being open and honest. And in relationships, based on how deep the relationship has, I mean, if it's an acquaintance, a guy you meet at, at Jack's every Sunday on your way to church, that's one thing. I'm talking about relationships. Relationships require honesty. Okay, so let's go on from here. I think my next one is narcissism, you know, and uh, we don't use that word a whole lot. I, I like it better than selfishness because selfishness sounds real petty, but when you really realize what narcissism is, you realize, well, it's petty too. And, you know, it sounds a little, a little worse as well. But narcissism in a relationship, a lot, of, a lot of relationships have a spirit of narcissism, like an imbalance in the relationship in any area where, like, uh, you divide up the housework, but you divide it about 80-20, you know, and listen, if somebody works outside the house, okay, you got to work on that. But, but when, when there's not and there's an imbalance there, you know, that kind of a thing. Like, uh, uh, and it could be things like uh, decisions. When there's an imbalance in the decisions. When there's an imbalance in the way money is spent. When there are imbalances right there, there's probably a spirit of narcissism that may, may be working and, and lurking there behind the scenes. Or the lack of compromise. When there's a lack of compromise. When one person never compromises. Is that you? that you never compromise. There may be a spirit of narcissism or dividing things. Okay, now dividing things isn't bad. Like say, okay, I'm going to take care of this today and you take care of that. Uh, th no problem with that. But when you divide things like money or time or the calendar or the kids or, or whatever it is, you start dividing things to protect your turf or to protect your time, then a spirit of narcissism is at work there. Okay, and, and, and you, need, you also need to know this, okay? That, go ahead and bring me the next slide. These are things that are draining the people around you. They're draining the people that are around you. And what happens when they are drained dry? What happens to those people when you've drained them dry? And you know, if you've ever had a really, really bad experience in a relationship, or have you ever had, you've had a little narcissism in your past, you know what happens when you drain them dry. The relationship is over. That's a bad thing when it's the best friend that you've had for years and you've drained them dry and the relationship's over because you were all about yourself. But it, that may be a bad thing even at work. That could be a bad thing if you're dating someone. But it's, it's disastrous when you're married and that's happening because you're eventually going to drain them dry and you're going to push them to, to start talking about decisions and start using words that should not ever be used in a marriage as well. And if there's a spirit of narcissism in it, this is, remember this is the list of things to stop doing in your relationships. Okay, and the next one is immaturity, right? Immaturity. Um, we we kind of know what immaturity is, right? Fighting unfair. I didn't say fighting. I said fighting unfair. Okay, because you know, we shouldn't be fighting, but arguing and working. Yeah, okay, you get a little heated or whatever. But if you're going to fight fair, okay? Uh, you know, don't call names. Don't be demeaning. Don't act like a seventh grader if you're married, okay? You know, that kind of a thing. Now, if you're a seventh grader, I guess, okay, fight like a seventh grader. But, you know, if you're, if you're married, then, you know, fight, argue, or discuss things like you're an adult. You know, because if, you, if you're married, 
You know, you, you shouldn't still be handling things the way you handled them when you were a seventh grader or being easily offended. Listen, if you are offended every single time anything untoward is said to you, then you need to grow up, okay? Because even if that person was wrong in what they said and the way they said it to you, if you're 20-something years old or older, you need to grow up where those things don't destroy your world, okay? You need to not be so easily offended or have an inability to delay gratification. Basically, to not have the ability to say no to yourself. And I believe this is one of the hallmark signs of maturity is being able to say no to yourself. Now, we, some of us, we can say no to everybody else, but can you say no to yourself? You've got to say no to yourself. I, 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 that decision, no, not going to do that. I'm choosing not to do that. Do you ever choose not to do that? I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons fasting is so important. It sounds like a weird thing, fasting. You ever heard of that? You know what that is? You know, putting aside something. You know what that's for? It's to help you say no to yourself and to deal with some of these issues, okay? Uh, so let me tell you this about immaturity. Here's the thing, okay? Is immature people cannot build mature relationships. If you're immature, you will not be able to build mature relationships. You have to grow up to have a grown-up relationship. And I mean a, a great relationship. I mean an awesome relationship. If you want that, then you've got, you've got to, uh, to put aside your immaturity and you've got to grow up. Okay, and what's the next one? Insecurity, I believe, right? Uh, yes, insecurity. And, and this one's weird because most people that are insecure, you think, well, okay, those are the ones that are loners. You know, they kind of hide in the back. You know, they, they're insecure. They don't want to be seen. But you know what? Insecure people also hide just behind masks. You, you might be surprised to see them, but a lot of the people who are like out front and going, you know, and they're the life of the party and everything, those are the ones that are most insecure. And they're hiding behind that life of the party persona. They are some of the, they're some of the people that are, are most, most often just like, I, I really don't think I've got it together. And so you know what they keep doing is they just keep pedaling faster and faster and faster, and open, nobody notices that they don't have it together. And so ju just, just the fact that you're an out-front person doesn't mean that you aren't dealing with insecurity. But if you are, there are dangers in that, or, or like passing the blame. You know, when you've always got to have somebody, this, this was somebody else's fault. It always has to be somebody else's fault. There's a good possibility that's because of your insecurity or self-deprecation, which one of the ways you do that is by over-apologizing. You know, it's like, hey, I, I just can't do anything right. And, you know, it's, you're just always down about everything that you do, and especially in your relationships. It's always your fault. You're always over-apologizing. That's, that's a strong sign of insecurity. Here's something else you need to know, and I, I, I titled or started some of these with this. You should know, you should know, you should, you should know insecurity is unattractive. The only people who find insecurity attractive are those who want to manipulate other people. But if you want to build a great relationship with somebody, they're not going to be attracted to. A great, mature person is not going to be attracted to insecurity. And so if there's insecurity, in you, 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 you need to deal with that. And you need to realize who you are. What, and, you know, if you need prayer, some, you need somebody to talk to, we want to help you with all those things, okay? But insecurity could easily destroy your relationship. And what's my next one? Um, okay, so this is the last one of the things not to do. Black and white thinking. That you've got everything figured out. That, you know, it's right here. This, 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 is, this is the way this is. This, on this subject, here it is. It's right here. And if you don't fit right here, you are wrong. You know, that there's, there, there's uh, no human subjectivity no room for that, even in complex situations. You know, because, hey, we don't understand what somebody else just dealt with. And so for us to say, wait, 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 you didn't hit it right here. You didn't agree with me on every single issue. That kind of rigidity 
is the exact polar opposite of the give and take that every amazing relationship has to have. I mean, that's what relationships are. I know we don't like the word compromise, and you've probably heard a good compromise leaves nobody happy. You ever heard that before? You know, okay, maybe that's true in some ways, but not when you're, you're really invested in the relationship. I want this relationship to work. Then you know what? A compromise doesn't leave you unhappy because you're not about yourself. You're about the relationship. And when I compromise with that, that best friend or I compromise with that person I'm dating or I compromise with that person that I'm married to, what I'm doing is, is, is I'm, I'm compromising in a way to make the relationship stronger. So you don't walk away unhappy. Not when you've compromised in your relationship for that person to make things better and they're compromising and there's this give and take back and forth and it's not all one-sided. You, 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 you don't feel unhappy in that way. But this rigidity, if you're not careful, because every relationship's got to have the give and take. Every, because if not, it isn't a relationship. If there's not give and take somewhere, it's a dictatorship. It's not a relationship. So here, here's the six things. These are six things. And, and, and I've witnessed every one of these in lives of, of my church members. I've actually seen some marriages that had all six of these happening at one time. It's like... How in the world are they still together? How are they even holding it together? How in the world are they still together by doing that? You know, one of the things that encourages me about that is to say, man, if, if, if they could do all that and they could still, God could still help them keep trying to make it, keep trying to make it, it tells me there's hope for all of us too. But you've got to stop doing these things if you want amazing relationships. But I don't want to leave you there. I want to give you some things to do. So let me take you scripture now to give you some things that you need to be doing to build. Now, stop those six, okay? But let's talk about the things that we need to be doing, practices. These are, I, call, I want to call them preventatives and cures, okay? Per, things to do to prevent, uh, you know, the complicated stuff from happening in relationships and things to cure the complicated stuff that's happening in your lives. And these are all from scripture. The first one is prayer. So is it a preventative or a cure? Thank you, man. Oh, that's, that's like chalk one up. Pastor just feels awesome when everybody gets the answer right. That you already know this. Is that prayer's not just one or the other. It's both. But then why don't we use it as both? Think about it. Come on. What do we do? We don't use it as a preventative, do we? We wait until we get in trouble, then we start talking to God. Come on. Amen. Oh, me. I mean, that's when we start asking God for help. It's when we mess it up. And what we should have been doing was asking God for help before we did the thing that messed the relationship up or whatever the situation was that we messed up. The bad financial decision or, or the bad job decision or, you know, or, or the whatever, or the, the, the way we uh, approached a, a problem with the kids or something. You know, we should have been asking for help then. God, help us and prevent us. Look, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything. But how can I do that? How can I not worry about anything? Here's how. Instead of worrying about everything, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Don't worry about everything. Pray about everything. Meaning that you got a great marriage, pray for it. Because, oh, I guarantee you there's a problem coming around the corner. you got a great friendship, your best friend, you really, you better pray about it. I guarantee you there's a situation coming around that will test it, that, that could, could tear it apart. you got great working relationships at your job, or you got great relationships at school, the teachers, and, and things, people that are helping you get and going to help you make it in life. You better be praying over that, preventative praying, praying over that. And, and you know what? And you won't have to worry about it if you keep, if you keep praying about it. 
All right, so here's the second thing we can do. And I like how they connect because it's uh, patience. Oh, man, patience. Who wants to have patience? Anybody? Anybody want to have patience? You know, don't pray for patience, right? Because the Word of God tells us that it's tribulation that kind of strengthens our patience. So if you pray for patience, God might send you tribulation, right? Well, we don't want patience, you know. Nobody wants to have that. But look what it says in Romans 12, 12. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. I like how those, that first one and this one connect right here. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Now, being patient doesn't mean waiting for the other shoe to drop. It doesn't mean waiting for the inevitable to happen. It doesn't mean waiting, expecting bad. It means waiting and doing something while you're waiting. It means waiting and believing. It means waiting and hoping. It means waiting and praying. It means waiting and, and, and not expecting bad to happen, but waiting, expecting good to happen. It, mean, it means waiting with some expectation and some, some, some activity and some prayer and all of those things. So here, let's do this. Let's take this one a little deeper, okay? And let's take patience a little deeper. So go ahead to my next slide. So ha have patience through selflessness. Wait with selflessness. Now, this is the opposite of that narcissism a few moments ago, okay? Wait with selflessness. John 15, verse 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I've heard people, you know, a lot of people talk about how I would die for my spouse. I would die for my children. I would die for my best friend. But the question here, and, and, and maybe this scripture does go a little deeper, that lay down his life Maybe it's not just that. You might die for your spouse. You might die for your best friend. You might die for your children. But would you live for them? Would you, would you, because let me tell you, every time you're in a relationship, you know, you're going to have regular times. You know, if it's, if it's a best friend, it's going to happen probably weekly. If it's, you know, if you're married, it's going to probably happen daily that you're going to have to take just a little bit of your life every single day and lay it aside. And say, I, I'm going to lay that aside so we can do this. You know, that's that compromise a little bit talking about there. It's like laying it aside. That, and no greater love has anyone than this than to lay down their life. And in marriage, we lay down a little bit of our life every single day. We put a little bit of, his, of it aside. Not my thing, but our thing. Let's do our thing. That, that's what marriage is. And that's, that's what patience is. A selfless patience that says, I'll lay, down, I'll lay down a little bit of my life again today and wait for the awesome that's going to happen. Uh, next slide. Uh, patience also in believing the best. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstances. I like to paraphrase this verse by saying, love believes all things. Okay? That's, that's, what be, that's what patience really is. It's not just waiting, but it's waiting and believing the best about that person you're in a relationship with. That when, when they've got a bad attitude or something, you know, that you don't jump to conclusions. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, okay? That you don't jump to conclusions. That's the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do is to not have patience. Impatience just immediately jumps to conclusions and says, well, they don't love me anymore. Come on. They don't love me anymore. They don't like me anymore. They mu there must have something else more important to them today. And you immediately jump to the conclusions. But, but love has patience that believes the best and says, you know, maybe, maybe they were going through something today. You know, here, here's the reality with this, is we don't know the demons other people are dealing with. 
We don't know the struggles. We don't know the battles. And, and so, you know, if, if, if you've got a family member, they come home from work with, with, in an attitude every single day, it may be something that they're dealing with at work that is just destroying them, and they hadn't found a way to communicate that to you yet. You know what love does? Love doesn't beat them up because of that. Love doesn't, and I mean even verbally, what love does is they believe the best. They didn't mean that when they said that. That wasn't what they wanted. They're not trying to hurt me. They're just speaking out of their own hurt. Love believes the best. That's what patience is. It is waiting while believing the best. And the, th- the third thing about patience, digging down a little deeper, is seeking true peace. Romans 12, 18. Do all, uh, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Waiting by seeking peace, but true peace. You know, when I was talking earlier about, about um, lying just a little bit to keep the peace, that is manufacturing peace that really ain't there. Because you're lying. You're twisting the truth. You're hiding something to create a peace that isn't really there. What God wants us to do is live in true peace. So do everything you can to live in true peace. So waiting or, or, or being patient uh, is about waiting while seeking true peace. You say, because the easy thing to do would be impatiently manufacture some peace. I ain't got time for this. I'll just tell them this, and we don't have to deal with it today. Impatience says that. Just, just tell them a little bit just to get them off the track. Let, let's talk about something else. I don't want to deal with that today. But patience is waiting for the real truth to actually come to the surface that'll be much deeper. And, and if you move too fast, if you try to manufacture patience, you're going to lose the, 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 this peace that is growing in your relationship. You're going to lose it because you're going to manufacture something smaller before this gets to the surface. So use some patience and let God do something for you. Okay, so now let's go to this. This is really the third one, okay? All right, because we have, okay, now we're going to uh, communication. All right, uh, after patience, now is communication. And it begins, John, James chapter 1, verse 19, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen. Communication is not a monologue. You know? See the first thing up there? Quick to listen. Listen. You know, you ever heard the old saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth and we should use them proportionally? Oh man, how many, how many situations we, we work out in our relationships if we listen twice as much as we spoke? If we were quick to listen, if we were quick to listen and, 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 and slow to speak and slow to get angry, if instead, see, because again, here's just like patience again. We take the time to really, really communicate. And let me tell you this also, let me throw this in while I'm talking to you, is that, you know, if you tell somebody something and they don't understand it, you didn't communicate. You just orated. You just spoke, okay? You know, but if you tell somebody something and they don't get it, you did not communicate to them. You just gave them facts. And so what you need to do, you need to make sure you're communicating. So, so let's go a little deeper here, okay, with communication, all right? Next slide. Communication, a little deeper here is choose your words carefully. Okay, we, we know that, right? But do we actually do it? Choose your words carefully. If I were going to tell that nine-year-old granddaughter something and then... Later, I was going to tell my wife something, the same thing. I would probably use some different words, you know. And then if I was going to tell the staff, that's I'd probably use some different words. Or if I was going to tell somebody out in the community, I might use some different words. And all four of those situations, why? Because I'm telling four different truths? No, because I'm talking to four different people. 
and to communicate with those people, you know, I, I might tell something. I probably will go a little deeper in depth that with my wife and probably be most shallow with my granddaughter, you know. And, and it would be different based on what it was with everybody else. I would choose my words carefully. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. We all know that, right? But here's the thing we need to remember is what may be foul or abusive to you may be different than what is foul or abusive to the person you're in a relationship with. You've got to think about what you're saying before you just say it. You got to think, is this going to communicate what I want to communicate? Because if your language that you don't mean abusive, but it comes across and they receive it as abusive, what you didn't communicate what you intended to communicate, you had communicated abuse. And so they think you're upset about something. So we have to choose our words wisely. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's what we should be seeking for is all of our words to encourage, especially the people we're in relationships with. What do we want to do? We want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want to, we want to love on them. And, and so we need to make sure all of our words, and so we, we've, got to, we've got to check what our words are. Okay, and the second thing about communication, I'm, I'm hurrying right here, is to not just choose your words wisely. Choose your time wisely, okay, the right time. Uh, this is Asaph. Uh, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. You've heard of David, the shepherd boy. This is Asaph. He wrote this one. And uh, in Psalm 73, verse 21, 22, he's, he's saying, God, then I realized, Lord, that my heart was bitter. I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. You know, you ever, you ever get that? Well, you understand what he's talking about here? I was so bitter inside and I was so torn up. God, I know I, I seemed like just a beast to you, God. I know, you know, and you know what? That's probably not the best time to have some communication going on to try and fix something. When you're bitter, when you're torn up inside, you need, if you're trying to communicate something, that may be the worst time for you to try and communicate something unless you're trying to communicate about that bitterness and whatever it is that's tearing you up inside. So you have to choose your time. You know, you can say the right thing. That was the first part of there. Choose your words. You can say the right thing in the wrong way, and you can destroy all the communication that's going on in your relationship. So you've got, you've got to focus on both. You've got to focus on how do I say this so they get it? How do I say this so I don't defeat my purpose? La last thing right here. I told you we were coming back to it, right? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Instead, don't be like that 93-year-old lady and outlive all your enemies. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's really not an option for me and you to try to outlive our enemies because we're not guaranteed 93 years. But even if you did, like that lady did, say her last enemy died five years before that, before she gave her testimony, if we call it that. If, that means for 88 years she lived with bitterness. That's really not an option, is it? Is that an option for you? Is that what you really want? It's to live with that bitterness? Or, or you know what? I, I know a lot of people that they, they, don't want, they don't think they can outlive their, their problems and their enemies. I know some people, they just avoid them. You know, not going not gonna to deal with it, just going to avoid it. And so, you know, you can't go to that restaurant that you really like because that's where your former best friend has, likes to go all the time. And if you go there, you won't, you know, you'll probably run into them and you'll have to, you'll have to act like you're not mad at them or whatever. You know, I've, I've even had people you know, say, and, and maybe some of you heard this too, that, you know, that I've even heard people talk about, how, oh, I ran into, almost ran into a person that I've had problems with for years and years and years. I, I saw them at Walmart, and I had to duck behind the clothes so that they didn't see me and, you know, get around. Some of y'all smiling about that, so you know what I'm talking about. That wasn't you, was it? 
Come on. And what are you doing when you do that? You're, you're putting yourself, you're the one in the prison. You can't eat at your favorite restaurant. You can't even go to Walmart without looking over your shoulder because of the bitterness that you're harboring. You know, you know why you need to forgive? Because forgiveness is freeing. It's freeing. You want the, exa- you want the perfect example? If you're a child of God, you know what it is. Because when you were forgiven by God of your sins, it was so freeing. It's so freeing. Let me, let me give you this, and I didn't have this in my notes, but it hit me right at the end of the first sermon, in the first uh, service. And I, I can give you this real quick before, I, before, before we come forward and pray. Okay, is it, it, some of you know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know, you don't have to know the story, but just listen to this part of it right here. Is, is he leaves home and he does all kinds of things. He's really, really ashamed and embarrassed and, and he decides to come back home. And when, when he comes home, he, he comes up to his father, you know, and he starts telling his father about how sorry he is. Dad, I did this and that and that and I didn't respect you here and da 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 and all this and da-da-da and all that and all that. And you know what his dad does? He says his dad throws his arms around him, falls on him and starts kissing him on his neck and kissing him and kissing him. And he said, but dad, but dad. And, and he says, hey, hey, bring a robe, bring a robe. And he said, but dad, but dad. And the dad says, wait, hey, also bring a ring. And he said, but dad, but dad. And he says, hey, bring, bring some sandals. Let's bring some sandals. And he says, but dad, you've got to listen to me. I've got to tell you. And, and he says, hey, and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight because my son has come home. He's not interested in hearing about yesterday anymore because it's forgiven. It's so freeing to be forgiven. God doesn't want to hear it anymore. You know that, right? You don't have to tell God about, about all those things you did in the past because it's forgiven. You, know, you understand that, right? Like that scripture up there is telling us it's so freeing to be forgiven in that way. And you need to give that to the person that you're so harboring so much bitterness toward. You need to free them. And also you need to free yourself because chances are, you know how many times I've apologized to people that they didn't even know anything was wrong? I was the only one that needed freedom. You need to give that to yourself. (laughs) You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and pastoral staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer requests by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.